WBZ original. Okay, so seriously, what's the pie? Are you apple? Oh, we had a whole thing. You'll have I to know the pie. What's the Thanksgiving I'm gonna, pie? I'm gonna frame I it understand, but because he keeps moving the goalposts. No. He furthermore insists that apple is a summer pie. It should not even be served. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a year-round pie. If you ask me, the best pie of all is Whoopi. <laughs> yeah, We're not talking about good. sex now, John. <laughs> no, what would be funny? I know. <laughs>Hello everyone, I'm John Keller here on Studio BZ. Paula Eben is out sick, get well quickly Paula. Leah Martin's down in Washington DC. I, I can't imagine the sensation he's causing down there. He's there to cover the, <laughs> the funeral of George H.W. Bush. So we're delighted to have with us, coming straight off her nightmarish morning show uh, and noon news shift, Kate Merrill. Hi, Kate. Hi, John. I apologize for anything that sounds gibberish at this point because I've now been up for a very long time. And yeah. I really appreciate being the fifth or sixth string in the line of podcast helpers. So thanks for having me on. <laughs> it's great to have you here. I'm amazed, given the hours you work, how articulate you are on the noon. I don't know how you do it. What's your secret? You clearly haven't been watching carefully. No. <laughs> A lot of caffeine, a little Starbucks, a little Dunkin' okay. Donuts. No Red Bull, any L of that? Uh, only in an extreme yeah. emergency. You've got to be careful Correct. with that stuff. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Well, it's terrific to have you here. Let's tell the folks a little bit about what's coming up on Season 2, Episode 14. My God, this is uh, – we've been around uh, – well, we'll let the listeners judge if it's been too long or long enough. A sheet cake is in your near future. I know, definitely. I mean, for, it's time. But please, none of this vanilla sheet cake with the yellow or orange frosting. I'm a, I want, if I'm going to eat cake and jeopardize my svelte figure, mm -hmm. I want chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. Okay, noted. A am I being a, a jerk about this? A little diva-ish, but we'll let it slide this right, time. Right. But yes, John, I appreciate that's what your you tolerance, can get. Kate. Yes, okay. That's very, very, very decent <laughs> of you. So anyway, um, included in today's uh, podcast, uh, my interview with Will Kaiser, whose name you probably don't know, but he has been the lead consultant in both of Charlie Baker's successful campaigns for governor. We've made it a custom here. Uh, on my Sunday morning TV segment to every four years have the consultant on the winning gubernatorial race come in and just sort of talk about what went on behind the scenes, what were high points and low points in the case of the Baker campaign, not too many low points. So we'll, we'll have that whole conversation. And then uh, something that's been frustrating a lot of people, Kate. That is Sturro Drive. Oh, yes. my God. I mean, there's a lot of frustrations out there, but uh, we have been reporting – for the last few days on WBZ about the situation that's happening on Storo Drive, a change that has happened on Storo Drive that people are just not understanding. It's causing traffic backups. It's sort of a mess. Um, and people are frustrated about it, rightly so. Even this morning, we were watching the backups as a result of this thing that was supposed to improve the road. A pilot program, they're calling it, which is what I believe the create, uh, Dr. Frankenstein called the work he was doing on his monster kind of a pilot program. I think they're calling it a pilot program now that it's not working. <laughs> I don't think it right. was a pilot program at first. Excellent thought. All right. So we'll dive into that. And then also you will want to uh, stick around for this. Uh, University of California at Davis uh, Academics came up with a personality test. Uh, and for reasons that are beyond me, 
Paula Eben, Liam Martin, uh, Malika Marshall, Dr. Malika Marshall and I all took the test and then sat around and discussed the results. And Kate, I think you're going to be stunned. It basically measures how well-balanced and happy and nice a person you are. And you'll never guess out of those four who had the highest score. Oh, Dr. Malika? You're going to have to stay tuned <laughs> to find out. How psychologically healthy are you? That is the question coming out of a new study from the University of California, Davis, trying to measure the healthy personality prototype and what they do. We're bringing in Dr. Malika Marshall for this. She is our resident doctor, and today she's going to play psychologist as well. Uh, they, they look at, help us understand, doctor, they look at 30 facets of the big five personality traits. So help us kind of understand understand what what we're doing here. So those five big traits have been established in the past. Mm -hmm. So there are personality psychologists, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. that actually spend their time looking into people's personalities. And one of the big things they want to figure out is sort of what distinguishes one person from another. So they wanted to figure out, well, what's the ideal personality? What's the healthiest personality? And you might say, well, what does that mean to be a healthy personality? Your personality is your personality. (laughs) Um, But they have found that people with so-called healthy personalities are more likely to have better health. I mean, imagine, especially as you get older, if you're one of those reclusive people who doesn't really socialize with others or doesn't empathize with others, then it might not be so great for your health to sort of have that sort of attitude towards other people. So you can imagine how one personality type might um, might promote good health and others may not. Um, it also helps promote good self-esteem. It can impact how successful you are in school, how successful you are in your marriage, and how well you perform at work. Mm. So these were researchers at the University of California in Davis, and they surveyed, again, some of these personality psychologists as well as kind of plain old college students who don't really yeah. know much about anything, right? <laughs> and so they found out that the experts experts and the non-experts seem to agree on what those traits would be of someone that they would consider having a healthy personality. Mm-hmm. And those things included low levels of neuroticism, high levels of openness to feelings, mm-hmm. warmth, positive emotions, and what's called agreeable straightforwardness. I was thinking about that. Yeah. I was like, what does that right. mean? But it means, means you're not a jerk when right. you tell someone yeah. right. the truth. Some people are, are straightforward, are... but some people are more blunt than others, right? <laughs> when right. someone is brusque with you, it's right. never well received. Right. So, you know, you can be honest, but like if I give someone a criticism, for example, I like to couch it first with something positive, like yes. John Keller. Yes, You're doctor. looking remarkably <laughs> nice today. I really like your shirt. What do you mean by that? <laughs> but your shoes, are ugly. <laughs> yes, I agree. That right there is agreeable straightforwardness. You, yeah. You're not exactly making anyone forget Ginger Rogers there, right, Doctor? <laughs> and Malcolm, you know what's interesting about this is we all know successful, happy people, right, of various fields. Uh, some people are really laid back. Some people are type A. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting that these personality traits that they examine in this test are adaptable to those different kinds of levels of intent. Well, and I think that it allows for the fact that we're not all just just type A or whatever it might be, that there are shades of gray involved there. And so part of this is that you actually take a test and you answer John is currently 
uh, answering the questions. And you answer, I think it's between 10 to 15 questions that range on a scale from strongly agree with that statement to strongly disagree. And what they do through these questions is measuring your level of neuroticism, extroversion, openness to experience, agreeableness, and conscientiousness, and how you kind of grade on each of those traits. And so we all sitting here, John Keller, Malcolm Marshall, Paula Eben, and I, we all took this test to see how we would do. Should we? Should we? Well, I think maybe, John, since you just yeah. took the test, why don't yeah. you give us a First couple of... First of all, the- is, this, is, is this the the final verdict here? Wow. Okay, I'm not even going to tell them okay. what score you got because I don't believe it. But anyway. <laughs> so we're about to reveal. Wow. Thanks for the vote of confidence, Dr. John he ble- might have <laughs> she cheated the test. Ambulances no, you go ahead with the list. Okay. Uh, sorry. Yes. No, no, yeah, okay, so some here are questions. some examples. Yeah. Do you feel others' emotions? Strongly agree, agree, disagree, neutral is another option. Um, do you lose your temper? Do you worry about things? Do you look at the bright side? And do you use others for your own end? Sort mm-hmm. of like, do you do right. you this is, That's measuring conscientiousness, I would imagine. Exactly. Um, so they give you a score. And I again, I don't even know. I didn't see that the top score was 100. I'm assuming it's out of 100 because it tends to be yes. sort of in that range. But yeah. um, so I will. T- should we? Yeah, let's, let's jump in with how we did. How we did. You go first, Malcolm, you go first. you're the doctor. Okay, well, I took it several times because I had to report on this, so I had to look at the questions over and over. But I will say my top score was 80. Okay. Which it said meant that I had a very healthy personality. Right, so this isn't like a – that's not a B minus. Correct. There's a, there's a range, and you are in the very healthy range. Correct. And, and what did you do particularly well or poorly on? Well, Didn't, and we're going to talk about this in terms of – that was your best trait. It, it sort of it gives you an explainer at the end right. about like what it means right. and what you. So I tend to I think I feel other people's emotions mm-hmm. very strongly. Makes sense yeah. for if a you doctor. cry, I will start crying. Yes, mm. I have often cried in the doctor's office with a patient who's upset about something. I yeah. usually cry with them. And of give course, them a hug. I just, any it, lassie come home movie. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I'm just I'm, I'm really? a waterworker. So yeah, okay, <laughs> see? big time. He's a mush. Right. Okay. Social. I'm I'm pretty social. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right? extroverted. I would say. I would say I'm extroverted and not introverted. Yeah. I do look at the bright side of things. I think I'm a glass half full kind of person. Yeah, definitely. But things I might have scored poorly on are I do tend to worry about things. Yeah. Kind of a yeah. worry wart. Likewise. Um, and sometimes I've been known to lose my temper. Never at work. You guys have never seen me do that. But no. What's certainly at home in my safe place. my children and my husband. I think sometimes they know when to avoid mommy. Mommy's okay. about to blow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so what about you guys? Yeah, Paul, you were to go next. Well, you just I, I scored an 83. I cannot wow. believe that. So there you go. Wow. Um, you know, and I did really well on... Enjoying my work. Hmm. Um, it does ask about that. Yes. Uh, uh, feeling satisfied with mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get to be my age. It's you know, you're you're satisfied oh, and optimistic it. if you get out of bed in the morning. And you don't fresh dirt Like he's eighty five. Every day above ground. It's, <laughs> it's a great day. Um, but um, I also, I guess, my low points were. You know, I do get anxious. Mm-hmm. about things and I do get angry. I don't tend to 
saying that. Yeah, not. I don't mm-hmm. tend to flash that. I actually, that's the beauty of my job. I kind of vent all that. That's great. That's true. It you don't have to great. necessarily bring you know, it home because you get on, to do it. Unuseful yeah. targets, I think. Yes. Yes. But you have I, it coming. My wife, friends, and family are spared the negativity because I've left it all on the carpet yeah. back at the office. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I love Governor. That. It's cathartic for you. That's great. It is. So yeah. John really yeah. scored yeah. an eighty-three. Malika. Yes. So maybe I should do that, Liam. So when I'm talking to you about the latest <laughs> recommendations about hypertension, should I just fly off the handle? You should. <laughs> I would love free. it. I might. That would well, be a ratings know, bonanza. Blood pressure. Ma- Malika, I've noticed every once in a while, and it jumps out because you're so calm and reasonable at all times, that a couple of times when you're reporting on a medical practice or a public, <laughs> oh, I know what it was, uh, parents who, uh, people who don't get flu shots. Mm. Say if you're talking and about you're, vaccines. You, you, there was a little right. flash of annoyance oh. there. Oh, yes. <laughs> because you see the And do you know the, the reports are still coming out that fewer and fewer parents are getting their kids vaccinated yeah. against the flu? It does make that me crazy. That is infuriating. Yeah. As someone who does urgent care and I see the ravages that flu can take on yeah. people of all ages, it just, sure. it's so nonsensical. We're going to get uh, Malika's temper going yes, here. Yes, here I go. So, so right. Paula, um, how did you I do? I scored an 80% as well, yeah. like Malika. It said that my, my top uh, identifier was warmth, which I thought was nice. I think that's true. And uh, yeah, similar uh, to to both of you, uh, I enjoy my work. Um, Competence is one of the other things that it measures. Yes. How how well do you feel you can mm-hmm. perform your job, your take job, care of things at home, which adds to your happiness there. All of those things, and and my concerns are worrying. My husband mm-hmm. likes to say, if there's nothing to worry about, I will find That's something me. to worry about, <laughs> especially when it comes to the children. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, having a flash of anger because I think people who generally try to look at the bright side of life and be like that Liam and I discuss this often you have a very long fuse yeah so when you blow it's a little you blow alarming yeah. around you Have, has, has, has either of you been witness to Paula's temper <laughs> no John well, and Malika the pie debate oh my oh, god the pie debate well, sure I mean, sure the pie I debate I thought she was gonna skin Liam alive there and use, use the carcass for a if handbag you get my, or an apple pie in fact she would have used yeah. it I say no. if you get my Irish up look out <laughs> You're an apple pie gal? I, oh, jeez. We I, can't go back. Okay. I would say Paula is is very calm. She's, But I have seen the temper, and I will say that that, that but can I, be but scary. Would, I think I would say that I am, what was it again about being direct, affably direct? Yes. What was it? Yeah. Agreeable, Agreeable straightforwardness. straightforwardness. I yes. make my point very clear when I'm <laughs> yes, not happy no, that's about true. something. Yeah, you don't waffle. Well, not so with a smile. Yes. Generally with a smile. Yes. Insane look on my face. <laughs> how, about, how about the spirituality question? Oh, there was a oh, spirituality yes. that asks about you, uh, you are deeply yourself. religious and then there's another one that says uh, are you deep, You are deeply spiritual and you're supposed yeah. to give a scale yeah. on each of those. Yeah. And, and I, I answered that uh, I am spiritual and not religious. Um, but uh, should I give my score now? Yes. Yeah. So, so I did the worst among all of us. I got a 76 and I will say that Poor I bastard. <laughs> I will say, actually, my poor wife, I will say that I expected that I would do better than all of you because I rate really high on humility. And that was where, that's how I expected that I would do. No, I did a 76. You know what's funny is we're all kind of similar. Maybe this makes sense because we're all in the same business to some extent, yes. uh, minus Malika. Yes. But uh, 
Uh, I did well on empathy, which I think is an important part of this job. You have yes. to be able to care about some particular person person's issue with the person. traffic ticket that they're having if you're going to be able to report on it well. And um, I am totally, as I've said to Paula, if, if someone cries in front of me, it's over. Like, yeah. I, I can't handle it. Yeah. I will do anything to make them stop. <laughs> and so I, I rated very high on empathy, conscientiousness, that sort of thing, and very high on neuroticism. And that's what I think brought my score down. Huh. So, uh, Which is interesting because you are one of the most pleasant people in the newsroom. <laughs> so you should not have scored yeah. lower, lowest. You should yes, have well, the highest score. Well, there's a you know there's a very large subjective component, yes. obviously. That you I'm have. not busting your chops here. I really I'm throwing this out in all seriousness because you're you're younger. Mm. You're you're yes. a grown man. No, I don't want anyone to get confused. <laughs> you're you're older and more mature than you might look sometimes. But uh, uh, I think as you age, if you've got it going on, the self doubt tends to. To totally. fall away, yeah. and you get to be my, you get to over sixty, and you're like, I don't, I don't give a bleep. I am who I am. <laughs> like it, skin. fine. Don't like it, adios amigo. You, you, know, I give zero you tend to, no to yeah. become more comfortable in your own skin just That's as a true. function of age. I think so, that totally makes sense. I mean, if I had true. answered these questions at twenty, I think it would be even higher on oh, neuroticism and that sort of thing. And, oh, and, yeah, oh, and anxiety. Wait, Mine would have been off the charts. How am I going to make it? Yeah. Is anybody so going to let me do my, this? My thought before we did this segment was: we're all on air. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do have another um, career, but I am an on-air personality. Yeah, just slacker, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go to clinic right now. Um, but I, you know, having a low level of narcissism is supposed to be a good thing in terms of your healthy personality. Mm-hmm. But I think to be on air and to put yourself out there for criticism, because we really are allowing people to judge us, yeah. how we look, how we sound, what we say, what we think. Um, you have to have. A little bit of narcissism, I think, in order to cope yeah. with that, don't you think? Healthy yeah. level of ego. Yeah, right? Health, healthy. Um, no, seriously. Maybe. I mean, some people I don't. have. I think you got to have a pretty healthy There's ego. There's some on-air people do. that have an unhealthy yes. <laughs> yes. level of ego as well. Oh, should, we go, should, we, should we go through a list? Yes. We all know that. <laughs> Nobody at WBZ, of no, course. No, no. Well, again, yeah. if you're a well-balanced person, that narcissism quotient tends to fade with age, Yeah, I think. You know what else I think is a huge factor in personality is birth order. Oh, totally. Of course. I am a youngest child. Youngest child. Are you Malika? I'm older. You're the oldest. I'm sort of weird. I'm a a middle because I have an older brother and then I have a twin. Oh. And so, Hmm. but I was born before him by two minutes. So it's kind of, I don't know if I'm a middle or a youngest. I don't know how to... One other factor that this Fakakta test didn't measure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Pets. Pets. Dog lover here. Paul, I know you are. Malika? Dog and cat lover. Dog and cat. Dog. By the way, I'll just say about cats. If you can, and and this will be it about this. Oh, here we go. Now you're going to see the tempers flare. Here comes the neuroticism. Cats are great-ish. If you... If the world were to end tomorrow, you got a cat, you got a dog at home. This is how I measure the two. The cat will eat you. 
The cat will try to eat you to stay alive. The dog will give itself up for you. The dog will say, you can eat me. The cat will try to eat you. That is the difference between cats and dogs. I don't know how we got to that. As a lover of cats and dogs, I don't disagree with that. But I kind of like the chutzpah of the cat. Right. Some people do like that, that they're independent. They say dogs get attached to people. Cats get attached to places. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but this this gets back to something I believe, and the people who don't like animals in the audience Mm. aren't going to like this. But I think if you can't love an animal, you can't love yourself or anyone else yes. in the most deepest possible warmth. way. Yeah, well, I do it's always think... the most disturbing sign in a small boy, right? If they are start very <laughs> unhealthy. Did you see the picture of the dog with the oh, bush cat? Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, very as a yellow sad. lab lover, yes. of course. May I say yes. they are the most empathic animals. Oh, what a beautiful dog! And by the way, the, the dog will now live yeah. uh, at, at Walter, Walter Reed. Reed. Yeah. It's going to help take care of injured veterans. Yeah, it's a service dog. So perfect. Um, so go take the test for yourself. Will we? Will we? Maybe we'll tweet the uh, link from our Studio BZ Pod at Studio BZ Pod. We'll all retweet it. That'll take you to an article about this study, and it has a link there to uh, taking this test for yourself. You can see how you score and measure against. I us. find it comforting. I work with so many people with such healthy per- yeah, personalities. Me too. And the other thing that I think is interesting is that it doesn't really define how successful someone's going to be. There are plenty of successful people out. There <laughs> who may not score so highly on this healthy no personality kidding. test. Yeah. So I just think it's really interesting for mm. people to have that self-reflection. One thing we've forgotten here, to me, the most fascinating score of all. Jonathan? Oh, did Jonathan, our producer, take it? <laughs> uh, that mic's not plugged in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I-, I scored very low. Really? No, come on. 63. Whoa. 63. Yeah. Do you hate dogs? No, I, I, I like, I love animals. Um, By the way, the range is above 75 is very healthy. In the 60s is serial killer. Yeah, I, was say, I, think range. Guy. I think Jeffrey Dahmer had a 64. <laughs> I, I'm angry and uh, yeah. don't react to stress well but again, and depressed. Again, not to be patronizing, okay. you're, you're young. You've got your whole life ahead young. of you. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Young, by by young relatively. And yes, you're an you incredibly are. talented creative guy. He's very, very talented. Yes. So there's that. <laughs> There's that. There's some hope for you yet, Jonathan. <laughs> Our newscasters are ahead of his all work as an efficient, well-coordinated fact-finding team. Political consultants are ubiquitous. My own eldest son is a political consultant based in Washington. It's a, it's a living. Uh, it's an, a profession that often people don't understand. Uh, some who do understand it uh, tend to uh, criticize it, like they're a bunch of spinmeisters trying to pull the wool over the public. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking in a moment with Will Kaiser, who was the lead consultant on Charlie Baker's campaign. But Kate, when you watch a, a political campaign or a candidate, do you ever suspect that they are just a puppet and there's someone behind them pulling the strings? I think it depends on the candidate and yeah. how good they are and their personality. I think you can tell the best candidates are the ones that you can't tell have someone behind them. I'm sure they all do, and they all do now have help. But 
the question I always wonder is, what makes a good consultant? Well, I'll t- I think, you know, one way is obviously wins and losses. And by that measure, Kaiser is two for two on governor's races. Interestingly enough, with a Republican candidate, although he is a lifelong Democrat who uh, uh, worked for Marty Meehan uh, when Meehan was a congressman and then worked for many years in the office of the late Senator Ted Kennedy. But he's uh, turned Charlie Baker into, by all accounts, according to the polls, the the most popular governor in the country. And we'll get a look. Let's take a look now inside some of what was going on behind the scenes in the Baker campaign. This is Greater Boston, cradle of American democracy. Will Kaiser, welcome to Studio BC. Thank you, John. Glad to be here. So uh, you had a candidate in Charlie Baker who, according to all the uh, po- polls, almost throughout the entire four years of his term, had the highest job approval rating of any governor in the country, uh, support deep and broad across party lines in every Massachusetts poll. How on earth did you drag his sorry carcass across the finish line in November? <laughs> well, it was a brilliant campaign we ran, John. I mean, my, my good friend and colleague Jim Conroy and I, uh, along with Brian Wynn and, and really, you know, a terrific team, um, we really sh- stood kind of on the shoulders of the past four years in this campaign. Did it matter who the challenger was? Could Maura Healy have done much better than Jay Gonzalez did? Look, I think the challenger always matters. And, um, you know, um, Jay Gonzalez struggled to, to, to find a message that worked. And he struggled to, you know, build both political and financial support for his candidacy. And so certainly someone like the attorney general would have been able to, I think, certainly uh, build more public support and, you know, maybe more financial support, which would have made the race more competitive. After his sweeping victory, uh, I had people coming up to me in Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, if you that happens all the time. If you ever see me, I'm happy to talk politics with you and D.D. as long as you spring for my coffee. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I had people coming up to me saying, well, what about Baker as a national figure now? And I always kind of laugh because my perspective is that, A, Charlie Baker, this is Charlie Baker's dream job. He's a, a policy wonk. Uh, and I don't say that derogatorily at all, who loves the intricacies of it. He's devoted the better part of his adult life to getting to understand Beacon Hill and the state of Massachusetts, and I think he really digs it. Uh, uh, The other point I make to them is, you know, what party is he going to run in? Because it doesn't look to me like the Republican Party in 2020 is really a great fit for Charlie Baker. Am I wrong about any of that? No, you're not wrong about any of it. I mean, the reality is Governor Baker has no interest in running for federal office, period, definitively. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 you know, there is no, there's no if, and, or buts about that. Um, and, and you are right that, that the governor, um, this, the, this is the job that he, this is his dream job. This is the job he's always wanted. And I, I, the only thing I would add to that, John, is, is that, you know, ideologically, the governor believes, and he talks about this a lot, that government that is closest to the people is the best form of government. And 
The reason he served as a selectman in Swampscott was because he wanted to understand and be close and be, he, you know, connected to those communities. The reason that he and Lieutenant Governor uh, Polito spend so much time talking to local officials, visiting local officials, is because they want state government to be close to the people who are closest you know, on the ground in these communities. And I do believe that, you know, when you're governor, you can make decisions in real time that impact people in a very quick way. And, um, and, and the gov is not a big fan of federal, you know, policies pushed down onto the states um, ideologically. And so holding federal office, being a senator or, you know, being involved in a, you know, in a presidential campaign isn't necessarily something that, you know, speaks to him. He, he likes to run things. He's run this state. He wants to run it some more. And I think when he's done, he'll probably go back to, you know, um, the private sector. You know, it's not uncommon for multi-term office holders, particularly in executive jobs, mayor, governor, not so much legislators because that's a whole different uh, ball game. But it's not uncommon for them to um, experience turbulence in the second term or the third term. I think the term gets banded around as third termitis. But I want your thoughts about possible second termitis for Charlie Baker. Uh, it's a burnout job. Uh, inevitably, there's turnover in terms of the people you can attract. The newness and the momentum of being new has worn off. The number of grievances that inevitably pile up when you do a job like this have, has started to pile up. How does Charlie Baker avoid second termitis? Well, I think if anybody can, you know, it will be him. Um, the governor brings, a, you know, an enormous amount of energy and focus to the job. And I think um, – and, and one of the things that, that is, is remarkable about him is, um, you know, the people that he has around him have really not changed very much. I'm, you know, fortunate to have been with him – um, in the 2014 campaign, and you know, the five or six people who were involved in the campaign in 2014 were basically the five or six people who were involved at the senior level in this last campaign. Um, the people in his cabinet that he has around him, I, I'm, I, I would say, I expect relatively small amounts of turnover, and um, and that continuity and that consistency um, is, you know, is something that I think will serve him well and will and will serve the Commonwealth well. The relationships he's built up with the legislature, you know, have largely avoided a lot of this pettiness that you see that builds up. Um, I think the legislature respects the way he works. They respect the fact that he is honest with them. He tells them when he with, agrees with them. He tells them when he disagrees with them. There, are, there aren't surprises. And, um, and so hopefully, you know, people all feel empowered and, and feel like they're pulling in the right direction. Yeah, after the Patrick years where despite the fact they were all from the same party, the uh, legislative leaders and the governor uh, had a lot of conflict. Uh, it's, it's a very different scenario now. Speaking of Deval Patrick, uh, people keep saying, you know, he says he's thinking about possibly running. Do you think that's going to happen? And if it did, how would that go? I, I mean, I have no knowledge of what, what Governor Patrick may or may not do. Um, you know, I, uh, I guess I feel that, that the governor, uh, Governor Patrick, um, 
would be an interesting, you know, voice inside a Democratic primary. Um, uh, obviously, you know, the Senator Warren is thinking about running for president. She's she brings a very critical voice um, and a very sharp um, uh, voice to to the to her critique of President Trump and to where she wants to take the the country. I. I think Governor Patrick would take a kind of a more moderate, more uh, subtle, and more balanced um, approach. And I, I think that type of message probably has the best chance of, of defeating, you know, President Trump. If, really? If, if President Trump were to run. I'm not saying Deval Patrick, the candidate. I'm saying yeah. that message, that type of a message, and what I've read about how he might talk about the race and the, and the approach that he's taken, I think – whether it's him as a candidate or any any other Democratic candidates who bring a more moderate, balanced approach, I think that's where the electorate is, and I think that's where you know potentially victory is. I don't think you can beat President Trump by just being the Democratic version of President Trump. Before we let you go, uh, I, when I first met you, you were working for Ted Kennedy. You were his communications director for. We for, might have met when I worked for Marty. Before that might 10. be okay. Yeah. Well, listen, as you get to be my age, Will, <laughs> and you, the memory starts to play tricks. No offense, men, but yeah. um, uh, so you you were with him for how long, Ted Kennedy? I worked for Senator Kennedy from '99 until 2002. Okay, so you got to know him pretty well. Yes. Right. What would he make? of what is happening now. If he were here with us, would he be handling Donald Trump differently than other prominent Democrats have? What would he be doing? What would he be saying? I considered, you know, I consider working for Senator Kennedy one of the great honors of my life. It was, it was, a, it was an incredible experience. Um, you know, he was a, a larger-than-life figure at the time that I worked for him. And um, and the stories he would tell about his brothers and about, you know, battles and, and about the Senate in the 60s and the Senate in the 70s and the Senate in the 80s and um, was really an incredible. It was just it was it was amazing to be around him. Um, the thing about Senator Kennedy was is that he was a ferocious public voice for what he believed in. But behind the scenes, he was a relentless dealmaker. And he cut deals and was friends with all sorts of people that, you know, if you were simply watching politics from afar, you'd think that, you know, if he ran into them in the hallways, he would, you know, more likely to, you know, punch them than shake their hands. And the reality is, is that I think Kennedy in this moment would probably be a very strong voice in opposition to Trump. But he would probably also be behind the scenes building coalitions and trying to figure out, okay, who in this administration might I be able to work with? How do we, how do I peel off a couple of people, you know, in the Republican Party to be with me on, or can we do something on immigration? Can we do something on infrastructure? Can we find some path? And, um, you know, and that's the, that was the, the energy Senator Kennedy brought to the job, the love of the deal, um, the constant and relentless kind of um, outreach that he did to members of the other party, um, you know, was something I'll never forget and something I think he would, he would be doing even in this kind of weird polarized world. Would the Senate be functioning any better if he were still there? I do. I do think so. Yeah. Look, I, I – 
I think I think when guys like Ted Kennedy and 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 John McCain leave the body, it's a huge, huge loss. It's a huge loss for um, the institution. It's a huge loss for Massachusetts. It was a huge loss for Massachusetts. It's a huge loss for Arizona. And yeah, I think, I mean, when I first, my first job out of college was for Max Baucus from Montana in the United States Senate. And at the time, you had, um, you know, people like Bill Bradley and George Mitchell and Bob Dole and Nancy Kassebaum um, and Alan Simpson um, and um, John Glenn and uh, Sam Nunn. And these were, you know, big, larger-than-life statesmen who were, you know, who were ferocious either conservatives or moderate Democrats or even liberals, but the way they interacted with each other um, and and the way they respected and treated each other, um, it was a totally different. It's a totally different world now, and um, and I think we've lost we've lost a lot of that. Yeah, once the baby boomers took over, everything went to hell. <laughs> Will Kaiser is CEO of Kaiser Strategies here in Boston, top strategist for Charlie Baker's successful campaigns in 2014 and 2018. Will, congratulations again. Thanks for joining us on Studio BZ. Thanks, John. Each day, hundreds of thousands of people pour into the one square mile of downtown. Mile downtown. I don't know if you've driven in Boston in the last few days, specifically Storrow Drive, specifically Storrow Drive westbound heading out of the city. Uh, there's been a change. I noticed it Friday night when we were leaving the city. And it just seemed a little different, and I couldn't figure out what was going on, and I got jammed up on the right side of the road, and all of a sudden there was lines there. But there's this new thing that they've done suddenly, just unbeknownst to anyone, and they've sort of cut the right lane off on Sturro as to push everyone to the left. Now, this is when you're coming down either off the leverage connector yes. down ramp or coming out of the Tip O'Neill tunnel. Right. And there's now new markings that are painted on the ground, pushing you over and your lane disappears. My husband and I were driving and we kind of were in the middle of no man's land and had to find our way over because normally, you know, in that location, the left lane is an exit only lane coming up. So to get off at, at government's, at not, not government center, but the Charles Circle right. area. Yeah. Right. So as people who frequently drive that, you know that that's how it works. And it's a difficult road to maneuver on a good day because of the left exits or you have to travel on the right. Anyway, so this has happened. And it immediately caught drivers by surprise. There was an immediate backlash to this. We did a story about it a couple of days ago on the 11 o'clock news. We followed it up on the morning show. And we watched it live on TV happen in the morning where cars were just stuck. And so now the question is, what are they going to do about this? Well, for one thing, as you mentioned, there was no warning. I mean, think back to the work on um, the the Mass Pike Bridge at Commonwealth Avenue down by BU. For months in advance, we heard, this is coming. Be warned. There's going to be delays. There's going to be detours. Same thing with the bridge work over I-93 a few years back. But I went on the Mass.website, website, Kate, looking to see if they had put out a press release saying, hey, heads up, this is going to be happening. Nope. I-, I couldn't find anything. What were they thinking? And so now... 
Uh, a couple of news stories later, I think MassDOT is realizing, uh-oh, this is not going over like we thought. And so yesterday they came out ahead of this to say, oh, it, uh, it, pilot program, we're just testing it out, uh, not necessarily uh, permanent. Uh, so let's listen to what Jonathan Gulliver, MassDOT Highway Administrator, had to say uh, about the situation. First off, I want to acknowledge that the change that we made on the sterile striping has not gone certainly as smoothly as we had hoped. I don't want to acknowledge that it was a mistake yet. Usually when we when we make traffic changes of any kind, wherever we make them, it often takes somewhere around 10 days to, to two weeks before drivers get the new configuration and start settling into a new habit. If in the next few days we are not seeing improvement, if, if drivers are just not changing those decades of habits, we will reverse it back to the old configuration. Are you <laughs> kidding me? We didn't make a mistake, I swear. It wasn't us. Okay, now, first of all, in fairness, a lot of times when there's a change in a familiar pattern in at a busy place, busy stretch of roadway, it's conceivable that people might adjust, although <laughs> I'm Not skeptical, yeah. but it's conceivable. I'll take that point of what he's saying, but we didn't make a mistake. You chose one of the busiest in-town travel weeks of the year, the the second week after Thanksgiving. And you dropped the bomb without telling and anyone. You on people without telling them what are you thinking it's really funny because if you hear the reaction if you see the reaction on twitter we have some uh reaction people on reddit talking about this um and i'm just going to read a couple of these because they're really funny go ahead it's not uh okay so so there are some people who are carving bostonians for not getting it but let me read you a couple it's not a lane removal. It's giving the two entry lanes with the highest volume priority. I cannot begin to comprehend the stupidity of all you drivers. It's been nearly a week and everyone's still refusing to use the left lane, even though it's empty. But the way that Stural works is, that's how it works. The left lanes tend to be the exit lane. And if you're in the travel lane, you have to be in the right lane. So if you want to make a complicated road even more ridiculous, you do this. That's a great point. That road was a nightmare if you weren't totally familiar with it and sort of a, can I say mass hole on these podcasts? That's a force. Okay. Okay. If you weren't already a mass hole who knew how it worked, it, it was a nightmare to begin with. And now they decided we're going to update the nightmare. And add new nightmarish twists. It just, okay, let me read another one here. Go ahead. Um, sounds like you don't, and I'm playing devil's advocate, sounds like you don't understand humans. We are creatures of habit. It takes over a month to correct a habit, especially for some of these people who have driven the same way for a decade. Only stupid, the only stupidity you should be comprehending is your own for expecting so much of humans, LOL. And then someone else says, is that, is that hard to read a sign? Shouldn't we all be reading traffic signs when we drive as per our license, uh, driver's license? Or are we too busy looking at their phones like idiots? So these people are actually making fun of the drivers for not figuring it out. A lot of people on Twitter, people who actually use that road, Bostonians, are outraged. Meantime, uh, I did a commentary on the uh, WBZ Morning News on Wednesday about this and went to great pains to compliment Mass Dot on some of the way they've on the ways they've handled recent um, situations the the that Comav bridge work you know informing the public oh, way yeah. in advance uh, making sure everybody knew what was going on but this 
has been a disaster. I got a couple of emails about it, including one from Carol who wrote, they did the same thing at Neponset Circle, which is causing nightmares for Dorchester. And a long email that I won't read here from a guy who has to navigate Route 128 through the Route 9 stretch oh, I, that's there. Oh, that's been since I was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, God, that, years that, ago. that was only 15 or 15 yeah, years ago. It or has so. been going on so long, that Route 9 project. It's crazy. But I will give MassDOT credit in this way. This story broke a couple days ago, and they held an availability yesterday, and they got out in front of it saying, okay. And what they could have done is said, too bad, guys. This is how it is. Deal yeah. with it. But they didn't. They said, you know what? This is now they're saying it's a pilot program. If it doesn't work, they'll go back. And I give them credit for that because they didn't have to – maybe admit it doesn't work and maybe they're going to go back on it because they've painted those lines. Those yeah. are down. The, this is no pilot program. This is this is, this is is something that they were obviously planning to do. Well, to kudos it. to Mr. Gulliver for coming out and facing the music, but may I just respectfully suggest next pilot program you're going to do that might turn a key area into gridlock, how about like the week between Christmas and New Year's right. when many fewer people are driving or the dead of summer? Right. You know, not exactly. one of the busiest travel weeks of the year. Listen, if you are interested in the history and the irony of Starro Drive and want to learn perhaps more about Starro Drive than anyone ever thought they wanted to know, uh, we have a piece about it in our It Happens Here series. It's available online. Check it out at cbsboston.com slash IHH, which stands for It Happens Here, and I think you'll enjoy that. Well... That wraps up another edition of Studio BZ. Kate Merrill, thank you for sitting in for my derelict uh, uh, teammates <laughs> anytime, here. Anytime, John, anytime. Real appreciate it. Come again. And we'd like you to rate us, review us, subscribe to us at all the usual places where you subscribe to podcasts or, of course, at cbsboston.com. And if you like it, let a friend know. If you like it or don't like it or don't like something specific you heard, let us know. Our twiddle... Twitter, our twiddle handle. That that's the, good. That's going to be the next big thing. I think twiddle. so. Twiddle. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a pared down version of Twitter. <laughs> our Twitter handle is at StudioBZ.pod. Excuse me. At StudioBZPod. At StudioBZPod. See, I'm hep with all the lingo that the kids use these days, Jonathan. I, I follow you on Twiddle, so I know. Yeah, that. I got Twiddle. I'm, I'm there every day. And if you want to check out Kate Merrill's Twitter feed, it's at... At Kate Merrill. And I'm at Keller at Large. And as we say at the end of every show, I should have briefed you on this in advance, Kate, but we'll be zing you. Get it? I get it. You guys are so funny. It, we're awesome, aren't we? Awesome. It's not funny at all. It's oh, not, shut up, it's Jonathan. Not funny. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Appreciate it.